please turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and I'll read beginning at verse 24 down through verse 33. And Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher, and the slave as his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul, both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever shall deny me before men, I also will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Today we will consider... In our morning and evening sermons, the words of Jesus that are found often in the Gospels, where Jesus says, do not fear or do not be afraid. We know how slow the disciples were to learn. And there were often many things that Jesus had to repeat at different times to them. And one of the most common statements of Jesus, which we seem to find 20 times in the Gospels, are these words, do not fear or do not be afraid. Fear is a very deep and powerful emotion in the souls of men and women. Sometimes it is called anxiety, worries, which are so often a part of life in this fallen world. There was no fear in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were first made, there was only perfect harmony, tranquility. There was nothing there to fear. And the first time we read of fear in the Bible is immediately after the fall, when Adam said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. And so sin brings guilt, and guilt brings fear. There is fear over what others may do to us. Abraham lied to Abimelech and said that Sarah was his sister and not his wife out of fear. We find the same kind of fear at times in Isaac and Jacob and even the brave and courageous man Joshua. God had to tell him, do not fear. If we did a study in the Bible on the word afraid, we would be surprised how many times it appears because God's people in various circumstances and situations 
are tempted and sometimes they fall into fears. Fear can be defined as an apprehension, a feeling of alarm caused by the expectation of a danger, some pain or some disaster. Fear looks to the future and anticipates something that may come, whether it is real or even imagined. It is an unpleasant emotion by the belief that someone or something dangerous is coming to bring harm upon me. To be afraid is to be frightened, to be anxious, apprehensive about some impending danger. There are synonyms in the Bible, dread, terror, panic, alarm, dismay. Everyone knows what fear is. Children, little children know what it is. It leads to other difficulties, especially sins. It is the source of sin in the lives of many Christians at times. The sin of distrust of God, the sin of the fear of men that leads to pleasing men and disobeying God. At times, fear can be paralyzing, debilitating, preventing us from living as we should. Many things there are to fear in this world. Fear of the future, tragedies, calamities, troubles that may come. Fear of persecution, fear of rejection and being left alone. Fear of failure, financial loss, unemployment. Fear of betrayal and broken relationships. Fear of old age and illness, loss of health, and especially the greatest of all fears is the fear of death. Many things there are to fear in this fallen and cursed world when we think of the world before the flood, when it was so filled with violence and corruption, what great fear there were in the hearts of people at that time. And Today we have terrible wars, we have oppression, persecution of God's people, and we look around ourselves in our current moral collapse in our society, and there are enemies and there are looming dangers on the horizon. Solomon tells us we do not know what a day will bring forth. And we look at the news and we have many other reasons to have fears. Fears increase. We might say the world is filled with fear. But while this world is so filled with so many things to fear, when we come to the Bible, there is only one fear which is commanded of us and only one fear which is right. And it is the fear of God in heaven. And that's what Jesus tells us here at the end of verse 28. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. All other fears are forbidden in the scriptures. And if we are believers, no matter what our circumstances may be, no matter what troubles, dangers, trials come upon us, we are not to fear them. And God himself repeatedly, forcefully forbids all other fears. We read in Isaiah chapter 41 in verse 10, the Lord says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. 
Isaiah 43 and verse 1, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name, by name, and you are mine. And other passages could be quoted as well. It is one thing for God in heaven upon his throne of glory there, through an inspired prophet, to command us on earth in this world of confusion and danger to not fear. As reassuring, as comforting as that may be, it is quite another thing for the Son of God to come down from heaven and dwell among us and in our humanity, with our weakness and our frailties, without sin, to tell us himself not to fear and not to be afraid. There he was in heaven on his throne of glory, no dangers, no threats, no uncertainties of the future, only calm and peace and tranquility, an eternal, unchangeable, immovable stability. There the Son of God was from all eternity, but then he became a man, and he came and lived in this world in our humanity like ourselves, and he was tempted in all things as we are yet without any sin. And Surely that was one of the great purposes of the Incarnation, that the Son of God would come down from heaven and come face to face with the dangers and the fears that we face. And he would be exposed to all of our temptations, and yet as a perfect man, he would speak to us time and time again and tell us, do not be afraid and do not fear. His disciples were very strong men on the outside. But they were often very fearful men on the inside. They were seasoned fishermen, and yet they found themselves in a storm they had never seen before, and they were terrified even when they saw Jesus. They were afraid when they saw Jesus' glory on the mountain of transfiguration. They boasted at the Last Supper that they would never deny Jesus, and yet they all abandoned him when he was taken to the cross. They were even afraid after his resurrection. They were afraid in the upper room. Jesus' disciples were often a fearful group of men, like we are ourselves in many ways. And their fears, their fears became the occasion For Jesus, many times, to tell them, do not be afraid and do not fear. And so it is a common command of Jesus. And in the different situations in which he states this, we would say that he embraces all of the Christian life and everything that we pass through so that we can say this, that apart from the fear of God, there is really nothing in this world that we ought to fear. This is what we'll look at this morning and this evening. This morning we'll only look here at Matthew chapter 10. It's a most important passage in this regard. And three times in this one passage, Jesus tells us not to fear. Spurgeon calls this a sermon against 
fear. And then this evening, Lord willing, we'll look at other passages as well. And so the first thing we see is that Jesus deals with the fear of men. Two times he tells us not to fear men here. In verse, the beginning of verse 26, he says, Therefore do not fear them. And again down in verse 28, And do not fear them. The Greek word fear is phobos. We get our English word phobia from it. Verse 26 begins with the word therefore, which points us back to the previous verses, verse 24 and 25. Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher, and the slave as his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Now Jesus was sending his disciples out here into the nation of Israel to preach the gospel. And he tells them here that as they have treated me in this world, so they will treat you. And they have misrepresented Jesus, and they spoke all kinds of evil against him. They even mocked him with that most derogatory name, Beelzebul. Beelzebul was the godfly of the Philistines first, and then he became the prince of the demons, another name for Satan himself. And Jesus said that if they have treated me, In this way, then they will do the same to you as my followers. The best that any disciple can expect in this life is to be treated like his master. And so we must prepare ourselves and be content to bear the shame of Jesus' name in this world. In this chapter, we read back in verse 16, Jesus said, as he sends them out, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And then in the following verses, he tells them what is to come, that they will be delivered up to courts and be brought before governors. In verse 21, even family members will deliver up family members to death, a brother his brother and a father, his child. And then in the beginning of verse 22, he says, and you will be hated by all on account of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next, for I tell you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of God, the Son of Man, comes And at the end of verse 25, Jesus says, If they called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? He calls us his disciples. He calls us the members of his household. And what greater honor could there be for us to be the members of his household, to be adopted into the family of God the Father, the brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we believe in Jesus, this is who we are. And if he has bestowed this honor upon us, then there is no price that is too high for us to endure for him. And our highest ambition ought to be to be like Jesus, even with the suffering and the shame that came upon him in this world. 
Verse 26, Jesus says, therefore, he says, therefore, do not fear them. Do not fear them because of how they will treat you. He says, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. The words here, do not fear, are a command. He means do not even begin to fear. Do not even let fear enter your heart and have any place within you. And the reason here in verse 26 is because there is a day of judgment coming when everything that is now hidden and concealed will fully be made known. All that evil men have done in their opposition and their persecution of my people, it will all be made known. And all that my people have done in their allegiance and their commitment to me, that will all be made known as well. And those who have opposed me, it will be to their eternal shame. And those who have loved me and stood with me, it will be to their eternal honor. Verse 27, he says, What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ears, proclaim upon the housetops. Now, there are things in this passage that were unique to the 12 disciples, but they have their application to us as well. And here Jesus tells them as they go out to speak, that they will receive light and the word of God will be given to them to speak. And this promise here of what seems to be inspiration by the Holy Spirit will come to its even higher fulfillment on the day of Pentecost and afterwards when the Holy Spirit will be given to them to write the New Testament scriptures. The application to us today is that we have the completed scriptures in the Old and New Testaments. And Jesus speaks to us in our private devotions as we read the word and as we pray to him in secret. And whatever he reveals to us, whatever light and truth comes to us, we are to take that truth and to spread it and to make it known as far as possible. It is the duty of all Christians to witness for him and the fear of man should not prevent us from doing so. In verse 26, he gives us one reason why we should not fear men. Now, in verse 28, he gives us another. And in verse 28, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. A second time now, Jesus commands us, do not fear. And he teaches some important truths here in this verse. The first is concerning how God has made us. He has constituted us in two parts, body and soul. This is how he made Adam in the beginning. He took the dust of the earth made his body, then breathed into him a living soul. The body is what we see, 
But the soul we cannot see. The soul is what gives life to the body. And we are not just bodies to be taken care of. We have souls. We have eternal souls that are within us that give life and consciousness to us. The second thing Jesus teaches here is that the body will die. And after death, we will enter into an eternal world. And in that eternal world, there is only heaven and there is hell. Here he speaks of hell, which is that place, that terrible place of eternal torment, where those who do not believe in Jesus and follow him will be sent. And there they will experience the everlasting wrath of God against them for their sins in this world. It is holy and righteous for God to do so. That's what he speaks of at the end of verse 28. Fear him who is able to destroy forever both soul and body in hell. But then Jesus speaks in other places of heaven, which is the place of eternal life, the place of happiness, the place of joy and peace in the presence of God and It is the place that he freely brings sinners, whoever believes in him and comes to him for salvation. The third thing Jesus teaches us here is a contrast between what men can do and what God does and what God can do. Men are weak. Men are limited. The very worst thing that men can do to us in this world is put our bodies to death. And when they have done that, there is nothing more they can do. But God has the power. God alone has the power to give eternal life. And God alone has the power, the authority to destroy men, body and soul in hell. And then the last thing Jesus teaches us is there is a contrast here between two fears. The fear of man and the fear of God. We are not to fear men. We are to fear God and God alone. The two fears here are opposed to one another. They are exclusive of one another. It is not that we are to have both fears in our hearts at the same time. As if we form a kind of compromise or a balance between the two of them. They are opposed to one another. We are not to fear men. We are to fear only God. Do not fear them. And do not even fear them at the point where they bring you to death and kill your body. But fear him alone who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. We are not to fear men because the fear of men is what will cause us to shrink back from obedience and from the witness of the gospel. We are to fear God alone because in the fear of God alone we will find the strength to be faithful to Jesus and his word. If we see God for who he truly is in the power of and the eternal authority 
and the glory that belongs to him, the one alone who can give eternal life and destroy body and soul in hell, the one before whom we must all stand on the last day, if we see him for who he is, and if we see man for who he is, weak, limited, in what he can do, only harm our bodies, which must die anyway. And when he is done, there is nothing more he can do. If we see God and man rightly, we will fear God. And we will not fear men. And then we will be able to fulfill all of our duties to Christ as he commands When Jesus says here in verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body. What he is really saying is, do not even fear death. And if we are not to fear death, then what are we to fear in this life? Because the very worst thing that can ever happen to us in this world is death. And Jesus says, do not even fear death, but fear God above all other things. If we fear God as we should, there is nothing left for us to fear. In verse 27, Jesus gives a command, really, for them to go out and preach the gospel in the nation of Israel. And then on both sides of that verse, in verse 26, and now again in verse 28, he gives these warnings against the fear of man, because Jesus knew the greatest obstacle to his disciples fulfilling his command for them to bear witness to him, would come from the fear and intimidation of men. And so two times he has to say, do not fear them. Proverbs 29 and verse 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings us into snares of fear, intimidation, disobedience. And then he says, but he who trusts in the Lord, he who fears the Lord will be exalted Jesus knew that his 12 apostles, his 12 disciples here, except for Judas, they would face martyrdom at the hands of their persecutors. And so would many others throughout the history of the Christian church and even today. So the question is, what is able to nerve them to be faithful to him unto death? What is able to give courage to be bold with the gospel and not shrink back in the face of persecutors? The answer is this truth of verse 28, a most powerful weapon Jesus gives to stand against the fear of the world, that there is one who is greater than all the world and more powerful than all the world, the eternal and everlasting God. We should fear him above all men. This fleeting world is not all there is for us. There is an eternal world which is to come. The fear of God is the only cure for the fear of men.
the larger, the greater our views of God in his power, glory, majesty, and eternity, the greater our views of God, the less our views of men. The fear of God drives away the fear of men from our hearts. The only thing that can do so. John Calvin says in his commentary that Satan brings forward giants. Satan in this world, what Calvin meant is that Satan brings forth his giants in this world. Giants of men, giants of kings who rule nations, giants of systems and cultures that hate God and deny him, giants. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they faced a giant in their day when Nebuchadnezzar set up his golden idol and commanded all men to bow down before him. Nebuchadnezzar was a giant of a persecutor. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, No, we will fear God above Nebuchadnezzar. And even at the point where they were about to be thrown down into that fiery furnace, they would not turn back from their fear of God. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, If it be so, our God whom we serve, He is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, one way or the other. But even if he does not, even if he does not, and we have to go to death in this fiery furnace, we will be taken up into glory and let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods, or worship your golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were really obeying what Jesus says here in verse 28. It is easy to say, but it is hard to do. William Gurnell, he said this. He said, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. One fear cures another. And then he said, when man's man's terror scares you, turn your thoughts to the wrath of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. In our hymn book, in hymn number 522, we have a paraphrase from Psalm 34, and it reads like this. We'll sing it at the end of our service. It says, fear him, ye saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. Make You, his service, your delight, and he'll make your wants his care. So we have considered here the fear of man. Jesus says, do not fear them, twice in verse 26 and 28. And now we could consider a a different fear, perhaps. We could call it the fear of abandonment, the fear of abandonment by our Heavenly Father. Jesus has been telling his disciples about what will happen when they bring the gospel to men in the, in the previous verses. And it is a very amazing thing, is it not, that the gospel is good news 
It is the offer of the forgiveness of sins. It is the offer of eternal life in a dying world. And yet men hate the gospel and they persecute the followers of Jesus so often. And so as the disciples heard this, the thought would have naturally occurred to them. If we fear God and not men, if we are faithful to our duty to witness of the gospel, then what will happen to us? And what will the opposition do to us when it comes against us? We will be exposed to so many dangers and troubles. What will happen and how will we be able to pass through it? And Jesus gives that answer now, beginning in verse 29. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus argues here concerning God's care over the lesser parts of his creation to the higher parts. And he says that if God cares even for the least valuable of his creation, the sparrows, the smallest of the birds, so that not even one of them falls to the ground apart from his sovereign will and care, then do you not think that he will also care for you who are of so much greater value to him? You who are made in the image of God, you who are his elect from all eternity, and you who, for whom his beloved Son has come to shed his blood for your salvation, you who are most valuable to him in all the universe, if he cares for the very least, then will he not care for you as well? He says sparrows are sold for a cent, the smallest copper coin. Sparrows are not made in the image of God. Sparrows do not have eternal souls. They are worthless compared to your value in the sight of God. Jesus says at the end of verse 29, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He does not mean that your father is merely aware when a sparrow falls to the ground. He means that your heavenly father is under, has sovereign control and rule over Everything, every single sparrow and everything that happens to a sparrow throughout all of its life, all the way to its falling to the ground. Two of them are sold for a cent, and yet he controls everything that happens to them. And if God is sovereign and powerful in the care that he extends to the sparrow, then surely he will extend that same care. And power to you. Notice Jesus calls us, calls God, your father at the end of verse 29. He is not just the God of the creation, as he is with the sparrow, but he is the God who is your father through adoption because of me, his beloved son. He is your heavenly father. A father loves and cares for his children. How much more does the perfect heavenly father love and care for you? In verse 30, he mentions the hairs of their heads. 
the smallest and the most insignificant part of your body, even the hairs that are upon your head, they are all numbered by your heavenly Father. And if he cares even for them, then surely he will watch over all of your care and your needs as well. Verse 31, he says, Therefore do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. What Jesus is saying is, when men oppose you, and come against you, you have nothing to fear because your entire life, your existence, and every event that takes place comes upon you by the love and care of your Heavenly Father, even the hairs upon your head. Do not fear. You are of infinitely greater value than the sparrows. At this point in Jesus' ministry, He had not yet told them clearly about his coming death upon the cross. He would begin to unfold that later in his words. And that would become the supreme and the highest argument for God's care over them, even above what he speaks here. If God the Father was willing to send his beloved son to the death of the cross for your salvation, then how much more will he care for you in all of your dangers and in all of your fears that come against you. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, what then shall we say to these things? What shall we say to the persecution, the tribulation, and all of these things that come against us? What shall we say to them? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? Jesus is not promising that Christians will not face death even by martyrdom. He said back in verse 28, he concedes that men have the power to kill the body, and they do at times. But what he is promising is that nothing can happen even in a death of martyrdom that is outside the sovereign, wise, good, and loving plan of your heavenly Father. Jesus taught in other places that when the body dies, the soul lives with him. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And later in Matthew chapter 22, he will say that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the saints who had died thousands of years before, he is the God of all the living, and they are with him in glory. Do not fear what men can do. In verse 31 here, when he says, do not fear, this is really part of the entire argument here, beginning back in verse 26 and verse 28 and following, that we are not to fear men, but to fear God, so that our hearts can be strengthened to fulfill his command in witnessing the gospel and obeying him in this world. 
We can paraphrase the entire argument this way, and we can say, it was true for them, it is true for us as well. If we fear God and Him alone, so that we do His will, and we carry out the witnessing of His gospel, the question is, would He ever allow any real harm to come upon us? The question is, the answer is no, it cannot be. The God who knows everything throughout all of his creation, down to the sparrow that falls to the ground and to the hairs upon a man's head, that God also knows every effort of obedience of his people on the earth, and he will not forsake them in the midst of it. And even if men do the worst that they can possibly do and kill the body, he will take our souls immediately into his heaven above. Their death, the death of a saint, is only the means by which the loving Heavenly Father takes his beloved people from all eternity whom he loved to the death of the cross. It is only the means by which he takes them into his presence to be with him forever. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Psalm 116 verse 15. If we believe the Bible then we need to see death in a different way. And I paraphrase what one man said. Death is not an end. It is a beginning. Death is not a wall. It is a door. And death is not an exit. It is an entrance into the world above We need to be transformed in our minds and renewed by the word of God in our thoughts, even of death. Now, Jesus goes on in verse 32 and verse 33. He says, everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. The central message of the gospel is about Jesus. It is not a message of doctrines primarily. It is not a message centered on morality and moral standards and ethics. It is a message about Jesus himself, and that's why he speaks in both verses of confessing him. Confessing me or denying me before men. To confess him before men is to own him and to acknowledge Jesus as my Lord, my Savior, and to make it known to others that I am a follower of Christ. To deny him is to not confess him, the opposite. It is to be unwilling to own him, unwilling to acknowledge one's allegiance to him. 
Both verses speak of before men. Confess me before men. Deny me before men. Because it is before men that this takes place who are often hostile and opposed vehemently sometimes to the gospel. It is before men that we have to confess him even when there is a price for us to pay, even unto death, as Jesus said. Everyone, verse 20, 32, he says, Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, he gives this wonderful promise, I will also confess him before my heavenly Father. Everyone who confesses him openly before men and owns him as the Savior, Jesus will confess him before his heavenly Father in his heavenly intercession now at the right hand of God where he always lives to make intercession for us. And then he will confess us before his heavenly Father when he returns in his glory on the great day and he gathers all his saints before him and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Everyone who confesses him, he will confess before his heavenly Father. But then he says in verse 33, whoever shall deny me before men. Then he gives this terrible warning. He says, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. I will deny him when I return from heaven. And I will reject him on the last day. And for those who have denied me in this world, I will speak to them the most terrible words that a man could ever hear. Depart from me, ye cursed ones, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. A promise and a very strong warning of Jesus there in verse 32 and 33. We close our time this morning with a couple of applications. The first one is that every believer must confess the name of Jesus before men. Jesus was sending his disciples out into the land of Israel in this chapter to preach the gospel. Later in Matthew chapter 28, he will send his church out into all the world to preach the gospel. Go therefore into all the nations Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it is the duty and it ought to be the great concern of every believer to fulfill his role and play his part in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For the glory of God, for the salvation of others, and also to keep ourselves from the dangers of this passage. How should we do so? We pray. We ask the Lord Jesus to help us, to give us open doors to speak the gospel and to speak his word. We look for those open doors and then we courageously, freely, in the fear of God, make full use of every opportunity that we are given. We do not shrink back. We will stumble. We will fail. We will not say the things that we ought to say. Sometimes we will even feel that we have denied him. 
What do we do? We confess our sins. We ask forgiveness and we ask strength to go forward and to do his will as we do with all other sins. We ought never to be ashamed of our master and we ought to be willing to make our allegiance to him known to others. You do this when you are a good member of the Christian church and you give and you are faithful in your attendance at the church. That's what you do here every morning when you gather for worship. This is a place where what is taking place here, we are all here to confess the name of Jesus before men, that we are his disciples. And whether men wish to hear it or not does not change that reality. But we confess his name as well before our family members, in our neighborhood, among our work associates, to let them know who we are as the followers of Jesus. And there are many ways in which it can be done. Some will do it in one way, some in another way. Some will have greater gift and others less gift, but all are willing and able to engage themselves and to let others know who they are as disciples of Jesus. When people in this world get to know us in anything more than just a superficial way, the first thing that we ought to make known to them is who we are as followers of Jesus by a word from Scripture, by a word on behalf of Jesus, by deeds, by words, we should make ourselves faithful witnesses of Christ. And when you confess Jesus, you will have joy, which will be given to you from heaven above, because he does delight to have his name made known among others. We too often perhaps are like Peter, who so shamefully denied Jesus three times, and the other disciples who abandoned Jesus at the cross. But then we find in the gospel records, in the record of the book of Acts, that after the prayers of the upper room, the strength of the Holy Spirit was given to them, and Peter and the other disciples became bold and open, faithful witnesses of Jesus. They were told to stop witnessing of Jesus. And they said, we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And they feared God above men. They say we must obey God rather than men. They were flogged. They were ordered to speak no more in the name of Jesus. And then we read in Acts 5 verse 41. They went their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. How did that come to them? Only by prayer, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God working in their hearts. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A light cannot be hidden on a hill. Men do not hide a lamp under the lampstand. 
but they put it on the table so that all in the house may see it. And that's what we should be as disciples of Jesus. May God help us to be faithful to him in this way. I close with a word to unbelievers. Three times in this passage, Jesus says, do not fear. If you are not a Christian this morning, you ought to fear because you do have something that is very fearful before you. Death is coming, you do not know when. Then will be eternity. And there will be heaven and there will be hell forever. And for those who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, they will be most certainly cast away into the outer darkness. There could be nothing more terrible or awful to experience, but it will go on. There will be no escape for all eternity, the most terrible thing that could ever happen. But there is a way of safety. There is a way of safety. There is a way that you can be set free from all your fears. There is a way of forgiveness so that you are in a right relationship with God and you have peace and it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You must come and repent of your sins. You must turn and come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I confess my sins. They are very great. I need to be forgiven of all my sins. Lord Jesus, wash me and make me right. And give to me your Holy Spirit and put me in my right mind and open my eyes to the gospel that I might see who you are and truly follow you. That's your hope. It's your only hope. It is a certain and sure hope. And it can be yours today. It can be yours today by turning to Jesus. And Jesus can say to you what he says to all of his disciples. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Your sins have been dealt with and removed. And you are set free now to be my disciple. And fear God and him alone. Jesus is the only way to freedom in this world. The world tells you. The world offers you freedom. But the freedom of the world is bondage. It is slavery. It's the worst kind of slavery. Jesus can set a sinner free to have a good conscience, to be free from all fears, to be ready to die and enter into the eternal world and be with Jesus forever. That's what Jesus can do for all who believe in him. Let's pray together. Father and God in heaven, O Lord, your word is true. It speaks of very great and wonderful things, and it speaks of awful and terrible things as well because of our sins. 
We thank you that there is a Savior for sinners. We thank you that you have come to speak so many truths to us. We are weak. We are helpless in ourselves. We can do nothing apart from you. Lord Jesus, come and strengthen each of us who are your disciples. Give us grace to fulfill your word, to be faithful to witness of you in this world. And help us to be prepared to stand on the last day and to be filled with joy at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in these matters. And for those who do not know you, Lord Jesus, may you have mercy upon them and open their eyes that they might believe and they might follow the Lord Jesus as his true disciple. We thank you now. We pray that you would hear us. In Jesus' name, amen.